everybody, and welcome to our newest project for first responder wellness, No One Fights Alone, an in-depth conversation about mental health and addiction in the first responder space. We're joined by your hosts, Austin Pedersen and Brad Shepard. Welcome to the No One Fights Alone podcast. I'm Brad Shepard, alongside my partner and co-host, Austin Pedersen. Uh, this podcast is here to have in-depth conversations about the challenges faced by those brave men and women who serve our communities. How are you doing, Austin? I'm good. I'm uh, super excited for today's uh, episode. I think uh, this is going to be just an amazing resource for people. Uh, we've you know talked about a little bit about what we're going to do before this, and uh, I was able to gain some knowledge on a few things. And if uh, you know, even working in wellness, if I didn't know about some of these resources and options, I think that you know the general public isn't going to know. And so I think it's a, a great opportunity for people to hear about different options for themselves and their loved ones. You know what? I feel the same way. I, um, I, I'm i just super excited about the uh, conversation today because uh, two things, there's some great information fixing to come out, but this is a, this is a great friend of mine. Uh, I've known Shelly for a really long time and got to work alongside of her. She's just, she's just the best. She's uh, she's just a great human, uh, but but she's going to bring some information to bear today that I think is really going to be uh, so beneficial to the listeners out there. That, uh, that some 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 relevant things to a really difficult topic, but also uh, some things nationally that have happened this last year. So I'm excited to bring her on. We let's get her on here. Is that okay? Absolutely. Let's do it. Shelly Jones, how are you? Brad, I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me today. Well, I'm so happy to have you, Shelly Jones is a uh, great friend of mine. She's the uh, co-founder and executive director of the Survivors of Blue Suicide National Nonprofit Organization. Uh, and she uh, was also uh, the director, former director of operations for National Concerns of Police Survivors. She was the assistant chief, now retired uh, from Columbia, Missouri, Columbia PD. And one of the most uh, awesome badass pieces of Shelly is she was a motors jock back in the day. Isn't that right, Shelly? I was. Best job in the world. Yes. Best uh, job in the world. I, I wish I could have done 21 years of my career on that motor. That is awesome. You still ride, don't you? Do you still ride? I do. I do. It's um, it's not as uh, much fun without red and blue lights and sirens, but um, it's still uh, it's a good time and it's relaxing. And it's actually one of those things that you can do to um, relax and, and do the mindfulness stuff on. Oh, that's so great. Well, Shelly, um, you have a you have a pretty interesting story. Tell us a little bit about yourself, and and uh, also tell us a little bit about some of that difficult journey. I I, I know you've had uh, some uh, pretty uh, crazy things happen in your career. What what drives you? What what makes you up? What drives you to do what you're doing? You know, in two thousand and five, we uh, we lost Officer uh, Molly Thomas Bowden in the line of duty. She was killed um, and shot by a uh, a bad guy, obviously, and. Two years later, we we lost uh, Michael Goldberg to suicide, and I noticed uh, the significant difference in how the department handled the um, officer who was uh, feloniously killed versus the officer who died by suicide, and that always bothered me. And I even had a conversation with our chief of police at the time and said, "I'm not understanding why we're doing this differently." This was an officer, and he explained that um, suicide was not line of duty, and that they didn't do all the same pomp and circumstance or suicides that they do for line of duty. I have talked with the uh, Michael's widow, and she um, she said the department treated her very well. Um, so she has no hard feelings about that circumstance, the circumstances uh, 
surrounding the department's interaction with her. But um, I was bothered by that. And uh, I was given the opportunity through Concerns of Police Survivors to start helping the families of suicide. Uh, there, there was very little um, help out there for them. Very little. And uh, the, the generous hearts of the COTS National Board voted to help start a new but separate organization, um, which was later um, called Survivors of Blue Suicide. And I also, I look at my history in law enforcement. You know, at a two and a half year officer, I was shot at point blank range with a 12 gauge shotgun in the chest. And that is a career changer. Um, it could have taken me in two different directions, obviously. And I chose not to let it destroy my career or my life. Um, and that was a conscious choice that I made uh, because I worked too hard to become a police officer. And for some dirtbag to destroy that for me, it was not going to happen. Um, so, you know, and one of the things that I, and, and I look at back at that is, you know, the department sent me through EAP and, um, the woman I spoke to was probably crazier than I could ever be. And she didn't <laughs> understand, um, law enforcement. She didn't understand the traumas of law enforcement. And so now I am a huge advocate for, um, making sure departments when they send their folks to, to counselors or to EAP, that the professionals that they send them to are competent and understand trauma and they understand the law enforcement family and law enforcement psychology, because I look at all of them and I think, but for the grace of God go with I. And so have you seen that improve, uh, since you experienced a, uh, somebody who was not culturally competent. I mean, have you seen that improve over the last you know, decade or so uh, with the departments hiring more culturally competent therapists? Yes. Um, you know, it's a slow process. It's very slow, but there's a significant difference from um, 1996 to today. Um, and, and I think agencies are starting to recognize and that they need to hire culturally competent um, uh, professionals. And I think they're focusing more on officer wellness. And there's a huge difference today from what there was in 1993. Wow, Shelly, that's, uh, that's incredible. And, uh, you know, thanks for sharing your story. I'm going to segue us in uh, uh, into... Survivors of Blue Suicide here uh, for for time purposes because I because I really want to spend some time talking about that and let you let you share with us how valuable that organization is what does it do what 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 makes up uh, Survivors of Su Blue Suicide and what do you do Well we work with families and coworkers of uh, officers who die by suicide Our mission is to foster hope by uniting uh, survivors of law enforcement suicide with one another and um, honor our fallen heroes because we recognize that the officers who die by suicide are our heroes. The job broke them and we need to recognize that. And, um, you know, we started in May of uh, 2020, but we went live with the organization in August, end of July, beginning of August of 2020. Our, um, and for those who remember, that was the year of COVID. That um, literally broke in, in March of 2020. And we started this in, in May of 2020. So the first year we couldn't have retreats because of obviously COVID. And then so the second year we held retreats, we held one um, for spouses and parents. And then the next year we held one for co-workers, spouses and parents. And the impact that those retreats had um, was amazing. Uh, you know, we had officers that attended the co-workers and uh, we got comments back of you saved my life. Um, this this oh, retreat wow. saved my life. Uh, I was on the verge and you gave me hope. 
And we got that from the spouses and from the parents. And taking care of the, the families is just important as taking care of the coworkers. Because if we don't take care of all of them, there's a good chance we could have more suicides. And so we have to take very good care of them and, and provide them with the resources. And SBS provides them with resources. We also tell them, you know, when we go, when I go to uh, uh, conferences, I, I make sure that they know if they're not comfortable talking to someone they have access to, all they have to do is reach out to us and we will connect them with someone and it will remain confidential. Um, and I don't even know what gets said after I make that initial connection. I don't know how many times they connect. And so um, they have that confidentiality because to me, the more important thing is them getting help than somebody knowing they're getting help. And no, so absolutely. That's huge. That That is huge. I mean, these... I, I feel like over the last couple of years, uh, retreats have become more of a socially acceptable, you know, thing to go do, especially in the first responder world. I mean, can you give us an idea? First off, like maybe uh, locations, uh, not exact, but statewide locations, what they're in, how they can go about looking into attending some of these retreats, and then. Uh, maybe a little bit about what they're they're trying to uh, work through there. Is there uh, are you guys doing like group therapy, or is there is it's more of just kind of a a get together to have a little fun? Kind of going a little bit further about those retreats. Absolutely. Um, it, they arrive on a Friday and they leave on a Monday morning. And basically, they they begin the retreat on Saturday morning. They um, attend for coworkers. We call it a debriefing. For families, we call it a facilitated conversation. There is a, um, a mental health professional that sits in the in the debriefings, and we we try to keep them uh, uh, ten or less so that everyone has the opportunity to to speak and to tell their story. Nobody's forced to tell their story, but I have found that when one starts. It eventually um, leads everyone else to want to tell their story. And during those sessions, they learn that they're not alone. They learn that a lot of what they're going through, there's a lot of other people going through that same thing. And so then after that, we um, we do a fun activity, uh, something that is challenging, you know, and to find challenging things for coworkers is not the easiest thing to do. But we, we do something fun <laughs> and challenging. And then we also have um, um, breakout sessions. And we ask them before they attend what they would like to hear about. And if we don't get any responses, we then go to our mental health professionals and let them decide what the breakout sessions should be. And so they try to do a variety of things so that um, they not only get the debriefing, but they get some um, tools to take home with them on how to manage that grief and how to manage the stress of the job and how to ask for help when they get home. Because this is a weekend and although it changes lives, it doesn't make everything perfect in their world. So uh, we give them tools to take home and, and resources. And then um, the next day they attend uh, more uh, breakout sessions and then they do more group activities and then they do fun physical activities. And in the evenings they play games, they sit around, they talk, they chat. And it, the thing for coworkers is it's a trusted environment. If an agency yeah, calls really and safe. says... Yes, it's very safe. And if an agency calls and said, hey, did my officer attend this retreat? We're going to say, we have no idea. Unless that officer right. tells us it's okay to let their department know that they attended, we're not going to share that information with anyone. We take pictures 
and we send it to them. But our sponsors of that program understand we can't show their faces because of the confidentiality of the coworkers. And so all of the retreats are set up in a very similar manner, except the families, we can take pictures and we can share them. That's just, it's different for them. But we guarantee those, those coworkers that um, we'll never tell anyone they were there unless they give us permission to do so. Now, I know we've, uh, uh, I know you actually set the model. Uh, I believe I think you set the model similarly to the uh, concerns of police survivors retreats. I have a pretty serious question related to that. So, at your uh, coworkers retreats, Shelley, do you have arts and crafts? <laughs> no, we don't have arts and crafts. We just do physical. Oh. Um, yeah, we don't have that. I know at the the cops coworkers <laughs> they love the arts and crafts, but because of oh my the gosh. law, that they they do they they love ceramics. <laughs> The coworkers uh, retreats at conservative police survivors. Yeah, they have arts and crafts. I remember uh, attending and thinking this is this is crazy, and it ended up being super fun. Yes, it's, and they all enjoy it. So, but we're you know we're going to talk about the legislation that passed, and because of that legislation, our retreats are changing. And so, uh, oh wow. Yeah, they're going to be changing a little bit. So uh, do you want me to talk about the, the legislation now or do you want to? Sure. Yeah, this would be okay. a good segue. The uh, You want to talk about the public safety officer benefit piece? Yeah. Yes. On, on, on August 16th of 2022, um, President Biden... Um, uh, passed the SOSA law. It's the Public Safety Officer Support Act of 2022 is what it, it is. And what that did it, in short terms it, or in uh, condensed terms is it makes some suicides, if they meet the criteria within the law, uh, line of duty and makes the families eligible for uh, public safety officers benefits, the PSOB. Um, and it dates back to January 1 of 2019. So any officer who dies after uh, January 1 of 2019 of suicide, their families are eligible to apply for benefits. Now, that's up to the Department of Justice as to whether they'll be granted the benefits, um, but they're at least eligible to apply. And when that law passed, that made um, some of these survivors eligible for COPS benefits, for the benefits through concerns of police survivors. And so we sat down, uh, SBS, uh, Lori Putnam and I, we sat down with um, Diane Bernhardt and the president and came up with a plan on how to help all of these families. Because those who fell before 2019 couldn't apply for the benefits and they weren't eligible for COPS. But we did not want to just say, I'm sorry, you're no longer eligible for benefits and uh, you know we can't help you. Because that was the whole reason SBS was started, was because people would call cops that were families uh, of officers who died by suicide, and they would ask for help. And cops would have to say, I'm sorry, um, it doesn't meet our, our criteria and our bylaws. And so our retreats, because of this legislation, our retreats are going to be um, co-hosted by cops and SBS. And we're uh, combining more survivorships to some of the retreats. So everyone, every survivorship will have a retreat they can attend that's for suicide only um, survivors. And so the uh, retreats, if, if let's say there's, their officer died after January 1 of 2019 and they're awarded benefits, they'll continue to, they can continue to go to these retreats or they will then go to the COPS uh, uh, hands-on programs, okay? 
Now, if they get declined uh, by PSOB, they'll continue to go to this retreat and they'll still stay connected with all those survivors no matter when their end of watch date is. And so nobody has to say no again. So we're going to take care of them and SBS is still here. We're still functioning. We're still giving uh, the survivors everything that, that they got before this law was passed through survivors of blue suicide. This is an incredible legislation piece, I feel like. This is uh this is this is incredible. So so just to be clear, maybe some listeners out there may not fully uh fully understand the gravity of this if you're not in the profession. Uh, if a if a responder uh, uh, completes suicide uh, by taking their own life, the large majority of the time, if not all, uh, they lose all benefits. They don't get uh, the family will no longer receive uh, insurance, financial benefits. They're, I mean, it it is a all stop to everything for a family member, and this has been uh, enormously debilitating to families out there uh, who have been truly the victims of a honorable and noble career. Uh, that ultimately has, uh, I guess, consumed that first responder with the the influx of trauma and overwhelming stress. Am I am I wrong there, Shelley? Am I am I getting close? Yep, that's correct. Um, you know, this this law was a huge game changer for suicide survivors. Um, now that that opens it up the door for the PSOB benefits, the the federal benefits. It doesn't open the door for all state benefits yet. There's a lot of states. And and I can't even begin to tell you which ones, but there's several states out there that are working on changing their laws to um, mimic the um, SOSA Act so that these families also get state benefits. And there's also states working on workers' comp, um, making sure that uh, the families can get the workers' comp that a, a traditional line of duty death uh, family will receive. So there's a lot of things that came from this law that are, are moving to, in the states. It's just going to take time for these states to, to approve them. Do I see in the future all these states mimicking it? Yes. Do I see some changes? Sure. But I think for the most part, I think these families are going to, it's going to continue to grow to help them. We're just, this law is so new. We're not sure what or how many families are going to get approved for the benefits in the uh, in the which gives them in the line of duty death status? Uh, we're not sure how many are, are going to get approved, so we're just kind of sitting back and watching and helping these families um, apply for those benefits. And um, we're going to see what happens in the future uh, with with the benefits and how many get approved. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's amazing. Uh, this is part of this law I didn't know about until Brad had uh, informed me just recently on. Uh, I guess there's a two part question I have. One is, is this for uh, police only or is it a first responder, you know, firefighter, EMT, whatever it may be? And then second, have you have you seen anyone yet accomplish submitting everything and and getting those benefits? Yes, it applies to uh, firefighters. Um a lot of the first responders, probation officers, corrections officers. Um, so it's not just law enforcement. Um, even though it's called the Public Safety Officer Support Act, it it, it defines within the law um, who all it, it applies to. But yes, it, there's more than just um, law enforcement. Um, the 
the legislation um, uh, has specific wording so that it helps certain, it helps families. And there's a, a, a 45 day marker. If it happens before 45 days, there's certain criteria it has to meet. If the trauma happened more than 45 days, there's um, different criteria that they have to meet. But it opens the door for these families to at least apply. Whereas before they just, yeah. they didn't, there was nothing for them. Now, I think you had another question there. I, I Yeah. Have you seen any Anyone uh, apply and get those benefits granted yet? Yet, because I know it's so new. Um, so I just wanted to check in on that. Yes, one so far. There's been one um, that uh, applied and has been approved, and that's all right now. Awesome, but well, there is a lot of that's applications. Hope. That's hope. Oh yeah. Well, yes. I mean, there's there's a lot of applications that have been sent in. This law passed so fast that not everyone was ready for this law. And so the Department of Justice is trying to come up with the criteria um, to make sure that they look at all of them. And, and look at them um, through the eyes of the legislation, I guess. And so it's going to take a little bit of time, but I'm, we're not talking years. Okay. We're talking a few months to get more of these approved. It's just, they have to get the information and make sure that they get the right information and ask the right questions. And they're, they're doing a great job of trying to get the message out about this. Yeah, the, I, I'm sitting here looking at the the uh, national FOP news release on uh, one um, determination of the PSOB benefits to uh, completion of suicide. Uh, it's actually it's just enormous win. It's an enormous win to this community. Uh, you know, I lost I lost a really good friend to suicide as a retiree. Uh, I it, it was just absolutely devastating to know, uh, and really didn't see it coming. It was uh, it was hard to see that uh, coming. I, but I, I want to circle back, Shelley, uh, to uh, maybe maybe bring back up in a conversation piece. I remember. Um, because how you and I met was concerns of police survivors and, and, uh, love seeing you branch off and see this passion fruition. I'm so proud of you and, and what you're doing there. But, uh, you and I met back in concerns of police survivors days. and We did a lot of great work. We were in the weeds on helping a lot of folks there. And what I found oftentimes was the, um, the coworker piece oftentimes was a misunderstood, uh, piece as to who can actually be identified as a coworker of a uh, line of duty death or it, are you finding the same with the uh, label of coworker with survivors of suicide? Are you, because I, I remember having conversation with officers who say, well, I don't qualify as a coworker. I didn't work directly with them, uh, you know, on a daily basis. Well, if you were on the same shift or that was impactful to you, you're a coworker, you're a survivor. You're, you're, that's who you are. I remember having a lot of these conversations you find similar, and, and if and if you can, maybe kind of define that. If there's if there's people out here maybe having that question, say, hey, I'm I'm not necessarily I don't qualify. I'm not I'm not that person. Uh, can you help us maybe tell the listener who actually can go to these retreats and who can actually participate and and, and uh, maybe talk to that a little bit? Okay, um, you know the funny thing about coworkers is a lot of them don't see themselves as survivors. Uh, you know when we talk about survivors, which is why we separate family and coworkers, because for some reason, coworkers don't consider themselves survivors. 
And as far as coworkers for SBS, you don't have to work at that same agency. Like for me, if uh, when I worked in Columbia, we worked with the county deputies a lot or the highway patrol, we worked with some and we would be impacted if something would happen to one of them. That would impact me, even though I wasn't working at the same agency, we worked together. And so that would classify them um, as a coworker for SBS. Okay. Um, we allowed at our uh, coworkers retreat admin, uh, uh, like we had one, we had an administrative assistant um, because she was hugely impacted by the loss of her coworker. She saw this officer every day. She worked with them. Um, we would let dispatchers come in. You know, I think dispatchers so often get forgotten in, in the, the commitment that they have. You know, when I when I got shot and I left the hospital, my friend who was driving me home, I made her take me by the police department. And I went to our dispatch and I went and I thanked that dispatcher for keeping it together when everything was falling apart. And to this day, she thanks me for that. And I thank her wow. for what she did. You know, they're impacted. You know, they don't get to go and chase bad guys. They have to sit there and listen when someone's screaming for help on, on the radio. So we let the dispatchers um, come and attend these retreats as well. Now we will put them in a different session than the officers if we have enough people. But if there's just one, they'll probably attend the one with the officers because it also gives them the different perspective, it gives them the officer's perspective, but the officer then gets their perspective. So um, it, it doesn't have to, to be somebody who works directly at that agency. And, and the big thing with suicide is you have, you, can, you have to worry about suicide contagions. And it doesn't necessarily mean someone who works in that agency, that agency can have, uh, can suffer suicide contagions if they don't address um, and, and deal with the first suicide with their organization. But someone they've worked with in another agency, for like a state trooper, if they're a municipal officer, they can connect with them as well. And so you have to make sure you have, you cover all of them and not just somebody who worked at that agency. Yeah, that's, uh, that's so great. There's a, there's so many intricacies involved in that, and and you have such a great staff uh, involved in the survivors of blue suicide. Uh, I know I know quite a few of your staff. Uh, give us a little idea of uh, who who those folks are and and where where they come from. I know they come in from all over the country. Uh, you've networked them uh, fabulously. Um, you want to you want to speak a little bit about the, the the wonderful support personnel for survivors of blue suicide. Absolutely. We have a survivor advisory council and we just changed things up a little bit because of the law passage. And so we're trying to um, let the survivors have a more active role in the managing of survivors of blue suicide instead of it just being Lori Putnam and myself running it. Um, we have these survivors now that have a lot more input and uh, we've literally just changed that a about a couple weeks ago. So I don't have a lot of information on how well that's going, but they, they're a lot a lot of them have already um, told their story through um, COPS, uh, Traumas of Law Enforcement Training. Um, if you've never attended a COPS Traumas of Law Enforcement Training, the TLE, I would recommend going. Uh, they are amazing. And an SBS survivor uh, presents at the trainings on day three. And the impact that they have by telling their story to these officers is amazing. Multiple officers have come up to them after they present and they... Uh, I, I just want you to know uh, you saved my life and or I want to thank you. Uh, I'm going to go home and apologize to my wife and get some help. Those are the things that they say, to them. <laughs> you know, and and so these survivors 
telling their stories have have the hugest impact on officers in the profession because they look at these families and they think, gee, this is this could be mine. And, um, you know, they say, you know, when an officer takes their life, they, it ends one person's suffering and it adds 150 people's suffering. So the impact that these survivors are having is is absolutely amazing. You know, I, I was actually uh, looking at some of the numbers on uh, suicide and and they they just continue to to jaw drop me um, on uh, you know I went back to 2018 um, you know 156 2019 196 2020 145 um, and and then last year 155 uh, and these are just the ones that are being reported I remember uh, having a conversation uh, with a couple folks that. Uh, those those are those are probably pale in comparison to what the true numbers are uh, that are that are oftentimes unreported because either they don't know how. Uh, and, and I think uh, probably with this legislation change, that'll make an enormous difference as to re- really having people pull in and say we, we might we might actually be jaw dropped even more to know actual numbers. And then you actually start getting into the retiree piece uh, of of. The amount of uh, retirees that are taking their own life that we don't even know about, and it happens uh, just astronomically high, too high. Yeah, that's that's the one that I think is um, the number that people don't even think about is the retirees, because at least in the mental health field, that's that's where I'm seeing a lot of people struggles as soon as they do retire. They, they don't have that segue into um, the same type of family feeling that they had uh, while on duty. Uh, and they, they almost suffer in silence. Is is that where you're seeing Shelly too, is a lot of struggles is the retirees? Yeah, it's 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 very tragic because they survived that career. And then I, I can't tell you how many stories I've heard uh, that that officer turns in their papers, retires and walks out the door. And I mean, even one of them took their own life on the steps of their agency or they go home and they take their own life. And it's so tragic. And I think law enforcement is starting to recognize that they need to address that, um, that they need to help them plan for that transition of leaving that agency, help them understand that they have to have a purpose when they leave, because without a purpose, they're, they're, they're taking their lives because they see as their, their career's done, their blue family's gone, it's going to be, it's going to fade away and they don't have that purpose anymore. So before they retire, they need to find that purpose, a second purpose in life. And uh, and part of the issue, you know, you were talking about the the statistics. You know, I, I Blue Help started taking blue uh, doing the statistics. I believe in 2017. Don't quote me on that, but I believe that's when they started. And it's all voluntarily voluntarily reported to them, so you know there's there's some that are being missed, and and no fault to anyone other than there's they're not reporting it. Well, in 2020, um, President Trump signed the 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 bill require or for the F, requiring the FBI to to um, keep statistics on officer suicide and retired officer suicide and other law enforcement um, responders. But that's voluntary, again. And agencies are very hesitant to provide that information because one, they want to protect the family and two, they want to protect the agency. It could be one or the other or both. But we can't adequately address the problem until we know how, how widespread it is. And so we work with agencies and we encourage agencies to do the reporting. The reports that the FBI will release will not identify um, any agency or any um, uh, officer by name or uh, location. So we need these departments to, to report this. 
so that we can see and, and, and get accurate statistics. You know, as hard as Blue Help tries, if they somebody doesn't call them and tell them or they don't see it on the news or something, those fall through the cracks. And, and that's tragic and sad. If if somebody were to, uh, let's just go down that road for just a little bit. If somebody were to uh, need to report, uh, how would they how would they go about doing that, Shelley? Saying, hey, I, I, I lost a loved one here, a coworker here. Where do, I, where do I sign up for that? They Well, if it's after 2019, they can go to Concerns of Police Survivors website. Or if it's before or after 2019, they can go to Survivors of Blue Suicides website. And it just, there's a, a click on the spot where it says, uh, I'm an agent representative and they can report the officer and uh, they can also provide us with some uh, information so that we can reach out to the families because these families need support and um, without these agencies willing to share that family information it's very difficult to reach them this law I think is going to change that because now you've got the benefits attached and you've got the line of duties attached but the stigma and shame is still there this law doesn't change that will it in time I think it's going to significantly help yes but it's going to take a little bit of time for that. So they can um, report it to either organization. Um, um, they can reach out to ODMP and they'll make us aware. Um, uh, they can reach out to Blue Help. They keep statistics. They can report it to the FBI. But for us uh, at SBS or COPS to help these families, um, they need to reach out to us. They can reach out to a COPS chapter. There's what, 55 or 54 or 55 chapters that they could reach out to and they'll reach out to us as well. So there's multiple ways. They can go to our website, survivorsofbluesuicide.org, or they can email me at um, Shelly Jones or Shelly.Jones at nationalcops.org um, or Shelly Jones. Wait, I'm sorry. I messed those up. It's Shelly.Jones at nationalsbs.org or Shelly underscore Jones at nationalcops.org. Um, or you can go to our website and I just click that- on the email. That's great information right there. I, uh, I, I'm, I'm, you know, some of this is just heartbreaking conversations, but these are conversations that have we have to have. These are these are conversations that we really have to uh, endeavor to to help the you know save a life in the future and those that have been left behind. Uh, yeah. So, oh, absolutely, and that's. I mean, it's still you talked about stigma and shame, and uh, I, I think you're absolutely right. It's still there. Uh, I mean, this is this is such a taboo subject. I mean, the word suicide is taboo, um, you know, realistically, and so it's tough. But uh, I heard a rumor, Shelley, that you guys are putting on a uh, conference. Is is that happening? Uh, Concerns of Police Survivors is putting on a conference um, in uh, 2024. And if you're asking about the uh, Survivors of Blue Suicide Conference that we put on um, last year mm-hmm. in Indianapolis, that one will probably be 2024 as well. We're we're trying to see what the P- uh, what the Department of Justice is going to do with these PSOB benefits because of all of these folks are able to uh, get benefits, there's a good chance that their name is going to be on the wall and be honored at National Police Week. Okay. And let's be honest, our little event in Indianapolis does not even begin to compare with the honors that they will get in Washington, D.C. Okay. Now we're looking at possibly 2024 to recognize those that either didn't qualify for PSOB or were prior to um, 2019 because those officers still need to be honored and those families sacrifice needs to be recognized. So we are not saying we're not doing another conference. We're just 
waiting to see how many will end, uh, will be able to go to National Police Week for that conference. Uh, I still have the granite wall where we engrave their names. Um, at that conference, we had, uh, it's a movable granite wall. It's about uh, 200 plus pounds, but I transported across the country to get it to Indy. We did a um, memorial service, a blue light vigil, and then we had a conference for the, the survivors. And so we're looking at that possibly for 2024. We just kind of get to see what um, is going to happen with the benefits and the line of duty death status. You know, that's great information. I, I, I want to take just a second and actually talk about Police Week because you, you brought it up, Shelly, and, and uh, maybe maybe just visit a little bit about what an absolutely amazing and honoring time that is for law enforcement. And I, and I, know, we're, I know we're talking to a first responder community and, and there's a lot of listeners out there. We're not we're not just uh, solely devoted to law enforcement, but Shelley's organization is. Uh, Shelley organization is devoted to law enforcement. Doesn't doesn't mean there's not other you know hurting people out there, or other firefighters or paramedics that have been lost that need honoring. But specifically to this endeavor of uh, National Police Week, what an amazing and honoring week that is, and and heavy. Uh, it's a really heavy week of of grief. And joy and pride and so many emotions to that. Um, it, it can you you want you want to speak to that just for a little bit? Yes, um, National Police Week um, is put on by basically three major organizations: um, Law Enforcement Officer Memorial Fund, um, the FOP and its auxiliary, and uh, the Concerns of Police Survivors. Cops puts uh, the portion that they they manage is the conference for the survivors, and it's um, it's a two day conference. And I know that it has a huge impact on those survivors because I've seen it. And at the conference, they have um, mental health professionals and peer support teams available for the survivors to talk to one-on-one if they want to. And then obviously there's the memorial service on May 15th, which is uh, a very impressive event. And um, that's put on by the FOP and its auxiliary. And um, that's where they um, honor the uh, current year or the roll call basically for um, that year um, at that event. And then the candlelight vigil, they actually do historics. Uh, name reading and um, the current roll call. And uh, that has grown so big that um, I, I, last I heard that they had moved the location because it was so big. So, wow. And it's just a beautiful, it's a beautiful tribute to the officers and the sacrifice of those families. And as I understand it now, you're looking at uh, both suicide survivors and line of duty death survivors uh, coming together at National Police Week. That is so great. That's so great to hear. It is. And, you know, this year there probably won't be a large number because for them to get honored there, they have to be approved for PSOB benefits. Sure. So this year, and because it's so new, there there probably won't be a lot. But I anticipate next year there being a a large number of suicide families or suicide um, survivors there. And it's going to it's it's going to be amazing for them. Shelly, this has been such a great conversation. Um, Thank you so much for uh, taking time out of your busy day. I know you're uh, super busy. Um, First, let me just thank you for for devoting uh, so much of your life to this mission. Uh, You you are a true hero for spending so much time, effort and energy to helping others. You have such a great heart, uh, good leader, uh, good organizer, but you're a great friend. Uh, thanks for coming on here today. Thank you for having me because um, I appreciate you guys taking and recognizing the importance of 
these families. Uh, it's not always been the case. And it's just nice to see we're moving in the direction that they're starting to get recognized. So thank you guys. No, And, and I want to thank you too for coming on. I think, um, I mean, I got to point it out is this has definitely been one of the the heavier episodes that we've had. We've had quite a, a few guests just because of the topic. I mean, realistically, that's just the way it goes. And, and I feel like I have to point out to if, if somebody has made it through this episode, because there's going to be people that have turned it off because it's this subject, right? But if someone has made it through to the end of this episode and this is hitting home with them, right? Like we we definitely need to point out that there there's tons of options. I mean, you presented a ton. Uh, let's, you know, I mean, there are people out that will answer the phone. They will pick it up. They will, they will help you through any crisis that you're feeling if you're retired and felt that, you know, when we talked about the retiree, if you felt that there's, there's so many options, uh, to get the help. And so, um, we just, I just want there to be, uh, you know, I want to make a, a point of, of saying, you know, Hey, people understand people like Shelly, people like Brad, they, they understand, uh, where you are and they're willing to have a conversation with you at any time of the day, any time of the week, uh, and, and help. Am I, am I off by saying that? You're absolutely correct. It's okay to not be okay. Um, and it's okay to ask for help. And we encourage you to ask for help. And you can call the, 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 the cop's office um, and they'll transfer your call to me. It's 573-346-4911. And they'll transfer you to me. Or you can um, go to uh, survivorsofbluesuicide.org and click on the, the email and you can send me an email. And um, I will reach out and we will find you somebody to talk to because that's what's important. You know, uh, one last time as we kind of close up, Shelly, uh, a, a final kind of where do we find you? Uh, do you have, uh, you obviously you've talked about the website, uh, survivors of blues, suicide.org, uh, uh, of survivors. Do you have social media? Uh, we're going to put your email. Austin's going to put your email up. I think is what he said. Um, uh, social media find anything like that. You want to uh, plug here? We, yes. We have a Facebook, uh, uh, Facebook account, survivors of blue suicide. Um, just look for our logo. Logo. And um, we also have a Instagram account and you can uh, connect with us through Messenger uh, on either one of those accounts. Um, I think um, I'm on LinkedIn. Survivors of Blue Suicide is on LinkedIn. You can reach us through the LinkedIn. So there's multiple ways to reach us. Plenty of ways to plug in and find out the the great work that Survivors of Blue Suicide uh, is doing out here across the nation. Shelly Jones, thank you so much. Hey, thank you guys for having me. Thank you for listening to this segment of No One Fights Alone. No One Fights Alone is sponsored. Chateau Recovery is a 16-bed treatment facility nestled in the foothills of the Wasatch Mountains in Midway, Utah. Chateau's First Responder Resiliency Program is designed to treat the unique challenges and issues that first responders encounter in the course of their careers. Chateau's comprehensive and highly individualized approach to treatment addresses more than just the presenting issues. It addresses the why. Each of their seasoned, trauma-trained, and culturally competent therapists utilize evidence-based, specialized therapies to treat trauma at its core and enable clients to begin the healing process while developing a resilient and healthy relationship with stress. Chateau Recovery is trusted by departments and agencies from around the country to treat responders and veterans. In fact, it is one of only a handful of facilities nationwide that is vetted and approved to treat members of the Fraternal Order of Police. For more information, or to speak to a representative, go to chateaurecovery.com or call 888-507-5031. No One Fights Alone is also sponsored by First Responder Trauma Counselors. 
First responder trauma counselors are subject matter experts in proactive behavioral health care for frontline workers through their National Peer Support Academy. This 40-hour all-badges, all-uniforms, and all-scrubs educational experience helps to create caring, honest, and empathetic peer support relationships with your fellow frontline workers. The FRTC National Peer Support Academy is taught by actual first responders who have gone back to school to become culturally competent, licensed behavioral health clinicians that teach from lived experiences, not just theories from books. This fast-paced, immersive educational academy will not just change your life, it will help you save the lives of others. For additional details, visit 991overwatch.org or call 970-2224-19-3. This could be the most life-changing academy you'll ever attend.